Amen. We're talking about faith towards God, and we're still talking about patience where we left off. So just to put us back in the picture, I'm just going to read the first four verses of the book of first James, James chapter 1, rather, first. And uh, then I'm going to come on down here and give you a couple of word definitions as far as for the Greek word for patience. But James chapter 1, again, says, James, a servant of God. I'll read from the King James now on my outline. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, so that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. It speaks to the issue that patience, if we will employ and allow patience to do what it's intended to do, it will cause us to come out on the other side lacking nothing, being equipped for every good work. Now, there are two Greek words for the word patience. One is makrothumia, M-A-K-R-O-T-H-U-M-I-A. -A. The other one is the one that's used just about the same, hupomone, it's H-U-P-O-M-O-N-E. And I'm just going to just read a couple of definitions of what the word patience the word patience basically, of course, means to remain steadfast under persecution, to be constant, consistent, immovable. The word macrothemia, this is literally the meaning, this out of Strong's or W. E. Vines. It means, quote, to be long-spirited, to be long-spirited, forbearance, long-suffering, to put up with or forbear, to be long-spirited. And it's interesting because the word picture in the Greek is of the stretching out of a neck like these geese out here. <laughs> to be long-spirited. But the word hupomene is the one that's word used here in James chapter 1. And you know what the word patience means? Hupomene means, quote, cheerful consistency. Now again, I've always, I just love words. I guess it comes with the territory, but... You know, it says there again, count all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith should work cheerful consistency. And to me, again, you think about the contradiction of terms. And like I began to say the first hour, you know, God's not a sadist, and yet he, yet he basically commands us through James here to add up all of our trials and count them joy. Consider it wholly joyful. Have a cheerful consistency about your demeanor in the midst of trials. Now, again, if we believe that God is the God of love that He is, why would God instruct us to have a cheerfulness and a consistency in the midst of trial if it wasn't because it was a weapon of the Spirit? There's, it, there's a spiritual power about keeping yourself from the stages of depression and oppression that hell naturally wants to bring when you come under trial. You have to catch this simple issue that in the world we've been trained to get depressed when tough times come. We've been trained to look at the worst. We've been trained to expect the worst. And God's word consistently tries to get us to understand that again in the world you'll have tribulation, but he said to be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world of the power to harm you. I think like we talked about yesterday, the worst hell can do is take your life and then he does you a favor because you end up at the throne of God in heaven. And you know, forever in eternal glory, hallelujah. But on this earth, nevertheless, we're here for a season. And he said, while we're here, our lives can bear great testimony of the faith that we carry. Even as I just talked about when we prayed, 
or right before I prayed, you know, I, I'm amazed at this nation, and I don't mean that negatively, but you know, how little we know about where we've come from. One of my close friends, by the grace of God, is Dr. Jim Garlow. I think I maybe spoke of him earlier, who wrote How God Saved Civilization. And he's one of the foremost church historians in the whole world. In fact, we're, I'm going to get Jim over here in, at the first of next year. Uh, incredible wisdom. Uh, doctorates from the major you know, uh, theological seminaries of the world. And he's considered to be the world's foremost authority on John Wesley. But nevertheless, uh, he, in the midst... In the midst of all the things that, that Jim has taught me, I've watched how he's, he's, he's shown us the faith of those who've gone before us. I mean, when you, he'll, take, he'll take you from Adam to today in one hour. He does this video, and it's an incredible thing where he shows the faith of the people and where these terms come from. The things we like, the confessors. And he said, I've always remembered the first time he taught about here in England. He said, you know how you could tell a confessor who a confessor was? He said, it's because they had no arms and no legs. Because if they did not confess the Pope, if they did not recant their faith in Jesus Christ, they would cut their arms off and they'd cut their legs off. Right here in Oxford, right here in Cambridge, right here in London. That's how you knew they were confessors, because they wouldn't confess the Pope. They wouldn't deny the faith of Jesus Christ. But in this book, in fact, my daughter, I just gave it to her the other day. Often I'll go into churches and I'll ask people, you know, how many of you have read Fox's Book of Martyrs? And it's incredible to me that in this nation, so many people have never read one of the most classic books of Christianity that's ever been written, Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can get it at any shop where it takes you from the days of the apostles up until, as it were, you know, contemporary times, showing those and how they died. Latimer and Ridley, you talk about cheerful consistency. You know, when they burnt them at the stake, uh, that particular part of, uh, of England, when they burnt them at, a, at the stake, you know, how they would... They, you know, the, 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 the bundles of wood were called faggots, and they put these, all these bundles of wood. And, and so, and when they lit these things on fire, so as to kill them quicker, they'd put little bags of gunpowder round about their waist, so as things burnt upward, you know, that they would blow up and hopefully kill them as they'd burn these people to, uh, at the stake right here in England. And, I, and when you read the story of Latimer and Ridley and all these accounts, their bodies began to burn, and Ridley began to cry out. And Latimer said, Ridley, play the man. He said, play the man. Let our lives light such a torch in England this day that the flame ne'er go out. You know, being burned at the stake. And his body was burnt off up to the waist, and he was still alive singing praises to God. I mean, the men who died for their faith in this nation is incredible. You know, and what I mean is we get upset when we have a hangnail. <laughs> you know, what kind of faith, what kind of power does a living faith really carry to be able to stare stuff in the face and while you're being burned at the stake? Or look at the Apostle John. They tried to kill him by boiling him in oil, remember. They boiled the man in oil and he wouldn't die. So all they could do is exile him to the island of Patmos. <laughs> and there, when they thought they got rid of him, God gave him the whole book of Revelation. Hallelujah. You know, we serve a living God, and I'm just saying we read some of these things so glibly, and we take them like they're just a church meeting. We serve a living God. It says when you fall in the trials, it says let patience, let cheerful consistency have its perfect work. Hallelujah. I say it over and over again. God wants you delivered from the panic syndrome. Oh, oh my God, what are we going to do? Just be delivered from the panic and the fear. 
I quoted it again the other day, but it's due to be quoted again. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. It says, speaking of the Lord Jesus, said the Son of God, it says the Son of Man, because his children were flesh and blood, he took upon himself flesh and blood, that he through death might destroy him who had the power of death, that people might be delivered from the fear of death that had kept them in bondage throughout the entire course of their lifetime. He came, that was the sacrifice that was made, that we might be delivered from the fear of death. So we're called to walk in patience. We must not faint in our minds. We must not relax our courage and just run at the first shot. You know what I mean? Watching these guys on television, you know, I was uh, interesting the other day when they'd first gone into uh, that, uh, in, in Baghdad, and you watch these two tank commanders, these two soldiers, standing in the middle of the, uh, the square there, the reviewing square when they went into Baghdad. And there was this Fox News reporter, and he's in his helmet too, and he's about to interview these guys. <laughs> the difference between people that have been in combat and those not, all of a sudden these howitzers go off, you know, kaboom, kaboom, and this news reporter goes, <laughs> he jumps like that, and these old boys that are sitting there going, <laughs> they look over. I mean, it's just, you know, it's just a difference. And don't get shaken. It's like they knew immediately the difference between their guns and other guns. And I'm just saying, somehow, some way, that has to be translated into our walk with Christ where you don't panic when things go off. You don't just freak and run and say, you know, the moment somebody doesn't do something the way you like it, I'm going to take my toys and go home. You know what I mean? God wants us to have some patience about our life because his desire is that we come out on the other side wanting nothing. How important must patience be if patience is the doorstop, if patience is the thing that will work our faith and work this wonderful work in our lives? The trying of our faith worketh consistency, hopomene. When you begin to believe God for his promise towards you, whatever they may be, you continue. You're called to continue until you experience the promise. Why are we to let patience have her work? Because patience is the stabilizing factor to your faith. She undergirds her faith. Let her work. And it's an interesting little thing there, too, because when you do word studies, you'll find that faith in the Greek is, in, is a masculine word. And it's funny when you read these old things, it's the word pistis in the Greek for faith. The word for patience, like I said here, is hupomene, and it's the feminine gender. So faith and patience, a lot of people long before I did have talked about how they work together like a marriage. Faith and patience are like a couple. I'm going to just read from my notes here so I don't take so much time. Patience is to be to faith. Now, this is going to sound humorous to a degree, so don't get mad at me. But patience is to be to faith what a wife is to be to a husband, the stabilizing factor. I'll just pause there. Because the wife is many times the stability of the relationship. She keeps the man from wandering, from becoming a vagabond. She marries him, gets him in a house, and makes him stay there the best she can. <laughs> but how does she, patience, work? Your patience goes to work when your faith is under fire. I can count it all joy because I know something, that this trial is going to bring out steadfast in me. Patience causes you to be at peace when all hell is breaking loose around you. Rest, rest comes from understanding this, patience. Now, I want you to turn to Romans 5 real quick. It's not on the outline, but I just want to read, again, a familiar passage of, of uh, Scripture here in Romans 5, verse 1, the first uh, five verses. It says in chapter, in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 1, again, because it's in the Amplified, it'll read a lot more full. It says, therefore, since we are justified... Now, I, I used to like to just park right there because how, do, how many of you know that in Christ you've already been justified? 
I mean, you're not going to be justified when you get to heaven. If you're a believer, you've already been called just. You've, been, you've had right standing with God imputed to you. You've already been judged. You don't have to worry about the judgment that everybody else says is coming. Because the judgment's coming. But if you're in Christ, it is not coming on you. Because in Christ, you've already been judged. You've been judged as right with God. Hallelujah. That's why you can have joy in the midst of everything else. Because it's, I get so frustrated teaching on prayer right now because you listen to all these people bringing prophecies out of the Old Testament saying that God's going to do to, to His people today what He did to Israel then. And they don't understand that we're under a different covenant. A totally different covenant. That when you step out of the will of God today, God, this is such a frightening statement, it upsets people. But I can show you if we wanted to go into that teaching, but we don't right now. But in Hebrews 8 and 9, it says categorically, God said that this covenant will not be, will not be like the old covenant. He said, for in the old covenant, when I reached out my hand to help my people and they disregarded me, I removed my favor from them. But did you hear what he said? This covenant will not be like the old covenant. Under the old covenant, when they disregarded me, I removed my favor from them. But then in this new covenant, I will remember their sins and their iniquities no more. And it goes on. It's an incredible thing because most of the body of Christ still today, because the way they've been taught sin, 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 they teach sin so much, and they still don't understand that Romans 5 says that the grace of God is out of all proportion to the fall of man. That the grace of God is not at all to be compared to the, even the effect of the fall. But what we do is 90% of the time we preach the power of sin and we diminish the power of grace. And that's why people are kept in fear, kept in bondage, because they think that the devil is close to being the same power as God. And that is a lie. What God's done in Christ Jesus is so overwhelming that the devil doesn't have a chance. Now that's the truth. But you see, what you believe, you empower. And if you have people preaching the power of sin to you your whole life, you'll have faith for it because faith cometh by hearing. And you'll be weak and anemic and you'll be afraid to trust God because you think that somehow or another the devil has equal footing. The devil has no equal footing whatsoever. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even my faith. Hallelujah. I've already overcome the spirits of Antichrist, it says in 1 John, because of my faith in Christ Jesus. So judgment is coming, but it's not coming on me because I've been judged. Sorry. So for all of those of you out there that are watching that think I'm crazy, read your Bible because I've been judged in Christ Jesus. Believe what you will, you'll get it because you believe it, not me. Therefore, since we are justified, acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and enjoy. Hallelujah. I enjoy my reconciliation. Look to your neighbor and see how much they enjoy it. Look at their look. Look at their joyful reconciliation look right now. See? Look how much they enjoy it. We have, let us grasp the fact. Let us grasp this fact. Let us grasp this fact. Let us grasp this fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and enjoy peace with God. Hallelujah. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Verse 2. Through Him also we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace, this state of God's favor, in which we firmly and safely stand. See, I'm standing in the grace of God today. Paul said, I stand in the grace of God. A lot of people are still standing in the law. God helped them because the Word of God says in Galatians, if you stand in the law, you're doomed to disappointment. 
You're doomed to disappointment. We're lawmakers by nature. We're lawbreakers by nature. We'll take grace and make it a law in a New York second. And that's where we get hindered and where we get stuck. But through him, we have our access, our entrance, our introduction by faith into this grace, the state of God's favor in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice. You know what the word rejoice means in the Greek? Brighten up. That's what the word means. You look it up in Strong's. Rejoice means brighten up. Rejoice, and again I say rejoice. It means the same thing in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament. Rejoice. Brighten up. You know, every once in a while, you realize that God probably doesn't like depressed people. <laughs> now, I've got to be careful. I didn't say God doesn't love you if you're depressed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying God, there's no depression in heaven. And so over and over again, we hear him say, brighten up. Brighten up. Brighten up. And everybody down here says, but you don't understand. But you don't understand. But you don't understand. But see, God is like screaming from heaven. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand. You've got something to brighten up about. You've been redeemed back unto me by the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son and a daughter of God. You've been brought into the very household of faith. You've got something to brighten up about. It says, so let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God, which is what we're going to enjoy forever. Right, Steve? We really will. And we can have some of it down here. Hallelujah. Verse 3, moreover, <laughs> moreover, I mean, if you see how much joy is actually in the Bible, moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Listen, to see if this doesn't sound like James 1, count on all joy. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings. See, and all of you do that, don't you? You've got that part down. I can see it by your faces. I repent for lying. Moreover, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing something again and knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, fortitude develops maturity of character, approved faith, and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit. Everybody say habit. Anybody here? Have any of you ever had a habit? It says, and character of this sort produces the habit of joyful, and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope, such hope, this kind of hope, never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Now, I'm reading all that because, you see, in the King James, it'll say this, faith worketh uh, experience, and experience worketh hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our, in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And to put it in layman's terms, how many of you can remember being in a situation in the past when when you were in it, you saw absolutely no way out of it? Do you remember? Can you remember in, the, in a situation? It was so painful. It was so everything. There was, I mean, I, you know, I am not going to survive this, whatever it is. All of us have an experience like that. But how many of you can remember that somehow, some way, though you may not even be able to tell how, you, find, you did find yourself one day on the other side. You came out. Listen to what it's trying to say. 
This is what this is basically, experience worketh hope. See, what this translates into is if you can ever look back at anything when you saw no way out and found yourself on the other side one day, that should work hope in you right now. To know that even if today, at this moment, you're in the middle of something that looks absolutely impossible, you can remember that the God who delivered you from that will deliver you from this. That you will come out on the other side of this too. You know, we often make this statement, these things shall come to pass. Listen, things come to pass. Hallelujah. Amen. This shall pass. So don't see what happens in most people with trials. Rather than, you know, going to people, you know how you'll hear them say, I'm going through a trial. In reality, most of them are saying, I'm camped here. <laughs> I'm not going through. I've decided to put up a marquee. You know what I mean? I've, you know, I've got myself a couple of uh, wood stoves. I've got a refrigerator. I've built a garage. And I'm going to camp right here because I'm in this trial. But the Bible says we go through them. Here's the trial. You go through the thing. You don't stay in it. Hallelujah. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And that's where they stop. I know, but isn't it funny? Have you ever heard people talk? That's how, well, you know what the Bible says? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. And that's where they stop. But see, you have to read the rest of the scriptures. But the Lord delivers them out of some of them. All of them. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. Hallelujah. So God wants you to have this understanding. But see, in the midst of this, endurance, it works. These things work fortitude, endurance, applied character, tested faith, endurance. Of course you're going to go through trials. But this is where you have to let patience have her perfect work. The word perfect always means just simply mature. That there's a maturity that begins to come when you go through these things. And that's why Paul said things like, trouble me no longer. I bear in my body the marks of what I believe. Because he'd watched God. He'd proved God. Now I want you to turn to Philippians, the first chapter. I've told you this before, but you know how you find the books of the Bible, don't you? Especially the first, these epistles. In America, we used to say years ago, you know, that we were taught as kids, you know, how you remember Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The way you remember it is because we'd say General Electric Power Company over there. But uh, one of my Jewish friends uh, who's, who's a Messianic Jew who's saved, he made me laugh so hard. He said, no, no, no. He said, the way you remember the, the order is Gentiles eat pork chops. So, <laughs> so I've never forgot that. Damn. So Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Philippians, the first chapter. You see, the issue is God doesn't want us to panic when we find ourselves in the midst of this. Now, there's one of my favorite all-time verses right here. I'll tell you, it's in the Amplified, it is an incredible verse. Verse 28. Paul is talking here, of course, about what it means to conduct yourselves. I'll read verse 27. Verse 27 says, Only be sure as citizens... So to conduct yourselves that your manner of life will be worthy of the good news, the gospel of Christ. So that whether I do come and see you or am absent, I may hear this of you, that you are standing firm in united spirit and purpose, striving side by side and contending with a single mind for the faith of the glad tidings of the gospel. But look at verse 28. If you don't have an amplified, just listen. And do not for a moment, say for a moment. Do not for a moment, do not even for a moment be frightened 
or intimidated in anything by your opponents and adversaries. Now listen, for such constancy, cheerful consistency, hupomene, for such constancy, listen, listen to this. This is an incredible revelation. For such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign and a proof and a seal to them. Who's them? The adversaries. Such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign, a proof, and a seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation, and that from God. Hallelujah. Is that an incredible verse? But the key is what? Listen to Paul, this apostle who'd come from being taught directly by the Lord Jesus Christ and had such a revelation in his heart. He said, men, women, do not even for a moment be intimidated or frightened by anything from your adversaries. For know this, that such constancy and fearlessness in your spirit will be a sure sign, a seal, and a token to them of their impending destruction, but to you an absolute and sure sign of your freedom and deliverance and salvation and that from God. Oh, God, help us catch this. There's something about looking the enemy straight in the face when he screams. You know, the devil roams about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, as one old fellow said a long time ago, he still may be a lion, but God's defanged him. You know, done take, he, all he can do is try to gum you to death. You know what I mean? But the fact of the matter is he roars. He works through intimidation. He works through how loud he can get and scream and yell and loud and all this kind of stuff. He's, he works through intimidation. And there's something about this, the strength of constancy and not being intimidated and just having a smile on your face. I looked a devil-possessed man once in the face in Hawaii. This guy walked up and he's about this tall. And like I said, unfortunately, I have one of these bad testimonies from my old days. And this guy walked up to me and to somebody I was with, and he had this old maglite flashlight in his hand. And this guy was just demon-possessed. Is that a bus stop? Is that a bus stop? I went over there. I was asked to go over there on a tour. This was, I wasn't a preacher then, but I was in, in the faith. I had the scriptures, and I knew, and God had shown me some things because of the people that had taught me. And I walk, and this guy walks up to me. You would have loved it, Steve. This guy walks up to me and just looks in a, at this, because it was before I was married. That's why I have to be careful, because Julie's not here. <laughs> But the lady, there was a bunch of us together, but this lady I was with, and he begins to make some foul remarks about her and just really foul language. Then he gets in my face. The guy's about, you know, 10 inches shorter than me, and he gets in my face, and he's using every foul four-letter word there is. I mean, just, just literally, it was demonic. Out of nowhere, he chose me, you know, he chose us. And I'm looking at this guy, and he just, and what are you going to do? And he's sitting with his flashlight like he's going to hit me, you know what I mean? Now, I have to tell you, I'd only been saved about a year and a half. And my flesh, you know, my old man instantly began to think things that shouldn't have thought. As I looked at this guy, I thought to myself, first I'm going to break this, then I'm going to break that, I'm going to bend this, and you know, that stuff that used to go through your mind in a split second, you know, because you had to protect yourself. I mean, like I said, I unfortunately came out of a bad situation where you had, to, anyhow. And my soul is going through this because it's just, I'm reacting to this thing instead of responding. 
And I just, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm just going to, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to eat this. <laughs> you know, really, I'm, you know what I mean. You remember those days. I'm going to just, you know, this is not going to last much longer. And then, then God, thank God for God. All of a sudden this, you know, you don't overcome evil with evil. And he reminded me of that simple, simple thing about being at peace. And all of a sudden, I saw the passage jump up in my spirit where Jesus simply commanded the devil to shut up. And I just got this supernatural calm. I don't know how to, the supernatural calm came over me. And I remember I began to smile. Because I have to tell you, it's funny, because in Christ you come to these things. In the world, you wouldn't have been afraid. But in Christ, all of a sudden, you feel fearful because you feel like, well, I can't do what I used to do. It's like David you know, you want to run with your old armor, and you can't do that. And I looked at this guy, and I uh, just had the supernatural calm on me. And I remember it blew. It was one of my first what I would call supernatural experiences because I looked at the guy, and I simply said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, shut your mouth. And the guy goes, hey! And he just walked off. <laughs> it was a but I remember I thought to myself, <laughs> uh, uh, well, you know, this stuff works. <laughs> but, I, you know, there's something about, but hell works through intimidation. And as it, you have to understand, again, if we went back to the oldest of teachings, David and Goliath, you know, I still love to go back and teach it because if you'll see the pattern that's there. The Bible says Goliath presented himself for many days. And think about it, you see, because all of us have Goliaths. And Goliath presented himself and said, who shall come out against me? Who is this army? And, all, and he, basically he mocked and mocked the people of God, didn't he? But remember that he did this every day, every day. And you see, every one of us will have Goliaths that are so huge because we let them be so huge that they will come and they will say the same words every day. You'll never be. You'll always be. You're this. You're that. You're this. You're that. But at that time, it's such an incredible thing to watch because all of Israel, this is what most of the body of Christ does, the Israel, rather than go up because they had the same covenant David did. But what did Israel do? What did all the people in the ranks do? Wow, I wonder what will happen for the guy that beats this dude up. You didn't get it, did you? In other words, they take, what people do is always talk about, well, one day he'll be defeated. See, as long as you keep saying one day he'll be defeated, that means you're excused. <laughs> you don't have to go. You hear what I'm trying to say? Until this little guy, this teenage kid comes up, that had been, you know, a crazy guy, out in the middle of the, of the fields, a guy that would blow kisses to God at midnight, sing songs to God at midnight, you know, but something had happened in his, in his spirit to the point that he'd, I mean, you know, slew a lion and a bear, grabbed a lion by the beard. Now, I grew up in the mountains, and I've seen mountain lions. I grew up around bears. I have not seen a bear or a mountain lion yet that I would run up to and grab by the beard. So I don't know, David, but what, what can happen? What kind of transforming stuff can happen through a relationship with God? To where even in the natural, something, a, a, a lion, Steve, a, a bear, Alan, that you go up and you take the lamb out of its mouth and say, you're not taking one of my father's sheep. <laughs> and so he walks up there in the midst of this and he hears the same taunts from Goliath, but He's not intimidated because he's got such a knowledge of the covenant Amen. of who his God is. He says what? He said, what's the big deal, basically? Who is this uncircumcised? 
Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God. See, to David, he was alive. Most of Israel only talked about God's past deeds, and they lived in the realm of God's past deeds, but they didn't see him as a God who was alive today, who was living. That's the difference between a man and a boy. A man in Christ knows he's alive right now. He's ready, willing, and able to show himself alive right now to whosoever will reach out in faith. And so David, you know, when he said uncircumcised Philistine, that, all that meant was what? He was saying this guy is in no covenant. We're in covenant with God. So who is he to come against us? And this little guy goes out there with five stones, as you've heard the story, one for every one of Goliath's brothers as, as well as Goliath and takes the dude out and makes sure once he takes him out that he doesn't just knock him down. He goes out and finishes the job and takes the guy's head off. And I'd say there's so much in that for us to learn, but the point is this. You see, everybody has Goliaths. Goliath's job is to intimidate, is to defeat, and Goliath is loud, and Goliath is big. But David was the one that we read of in his Psalms that said, Oh, come let us magnify God together. David had spent so much time magnifying God that God had grown so huge in his spirit that when he looked at Goliath, he did not see anything too big for God because he'd spent so much time magnifying the greatness of his God and his faithfulness and his, his power and his might that to him, Goliath was just, just a whistle in the park. I mean, that's not just a Bible story. That's a picture that we're to learn from. That's why you have to run to the battle. Did you hear me? You don't wait for the battle to talk to you all day long. Like one person said a long time ago, one of the basic truths of faith, Mark eleven twenty three and 24, it says, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. So the Bible teaches us to do what? To speak to those mountains that confront us. But like one person said, I've never forgotten years ago, they said this, they said, you understand, God's commanded us to speak to our mountains. But the issue is this, if you don't speak to them, you can be sure they'll speak to you. Those mountains will speak to you every day, that mountain of that circumstance, of that situation that you face. And you have you have to begin to speak to it. And you have to be delivered from the fear that it tries to bring because fear is just that, fear. Fear is not substance until you allow it to become substance. Did you hear me? It doesn't have tangibility until you give it tangibility. You have to somehow allow God to arise within you. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let his enemies be scattered. But you have, but this is, what I love about this is that God is a God of whosoever. See, it's not just for preachers to talk like this. This is how you get to act and you learn to act and you find yourself acting when you're alone at home, when you're in your car. I mean, you know, I do it all the time. You've heard me tell stories, people laugh. I'll be, so I'll be in the car and not realizing I'm doing what I'm doing in the car and pull up to, you know, I'm listening to something. Bless God and God, I'm, I'll triumphant. Hallelujah. And you know, and you do, and you look over and people are in the car next to you going, roll up their window real quick. <laughs> yeah, stuff like that. And it's not that you're trying to be melodramatic or silly, but that's why I've, you know, I started listening to some of the tapes from last year. I, I, I guess I am so repetitive, so I, Forgive me, but I want to tell you, so one of the wisest things, 
the best investment you will ever make in your life is to spend 15 pounds and buy the New Testament on tape. And just put that in your car. Have that in the house. The Word of God is spirit. Let it fill and permeate the very atmosphere. The Word of God is full of faith. In that car I drive, I've got the New Testament on tape. Everywhere I go, I just, if, you know, I'm sure I'll listen to some other stuff, but I always listen a couple of hours a day. Just I put the Word on. I mean, I used to tell people to do this. I'd have people do this. I'd say, can you do this? You know, and everybody, I'd get them doing it. Everybody would laugh at me because I'd have whole congregations doing this. I said, this can be a secret to your deliverance. Can you do this? And I'd get them all going. I'd say, all you have to do is take this finger. All you have to do is take this finger, move it towards the cassette player and go. <laughs> and you can begin the first steps towards freedom. That's all you have to do. Surround yourself with the Word of God. Why do you think in Deuteronomy, what were they taught to do originally? You shall Deuteronomy 6, you shall speak of the Word in the morning. You shall speak of the Word in the afternoon. You shall speak of the Word when you sit down to eat. You shall speak of the Word in the evening. You shall speak of the Word when you, when you go to bed at night. You shall put it upon the, for, the, the platelets of your forehead. You shall put it upon your arm. You shall put, put it upon the doorpost of your house. What was the picture God was creating? Surround yourself with my Word. Surround yourself so that everywhere you look, that's what you see. What's Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 say? Don't let my word depart from before your sight. Don't let it. My son, attend unto my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from before your sight, but keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life and they are health to those who find them, or life to those who find them, and health and healing to all their flesh. Hallelujah. Then it goes on to say, and turn not aside to the right or to the left. All through Scripture, what's Psalm 1 say? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, nor standeth in the way of the sinner. But his delight shall be in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, that person that does that, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. I mean, all through Scripture you see this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mightest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and you will deal wisely and have good success in life. Amen. All through Scripture. Nothing's changed, but we surround ourselves with everything else. And <coughs> faith comes by hearing. Whatever you consistently hear, you develop faith in. It works in reverse as well as it works in forward motion. So God help us. Do not for a moment be intimidated or frightened in anything by your adversaries. For such consistency, see the power of cheerful consistency. Hell knows if you said, people used to do when we first began to teach the things of faith, people would hear about, well, like, release your faith for healing, and they'd say things, well, I'll try it for a month. You just gave the devil the date when he knows you'll pack up and leave. You know, my old spiritual dad used to say this, the Bible says, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And people would always come up and say, well, how long do you stand? And he'd say this to us, he said, prepare to stand forever, and it won't take so long. Serious. I'm serious. You see, your attitude, don't give him a time frame. I'm in this for life. I'm not in this for a week. 
Do you hear that? Seriously. I'm going to serve God forever. My worship of God is not because of what He does for me. My worship for God is because He's God. If I never got healed, if I never got blessed, if I, if I never, never, never anything, that does not change for me that He's God Amen. and He's worthy Amen. of worship Amen. and worthy of praise. So I don't worship Him because of what He does for me. I worship Him because of who He is. Amen. That's who He is. He's worthy of all praise. But such constancy and fearlessness, listen to that again, such constancy and fearlessness will be a clear sign to your enemy. Don't you want to give him a clear sign? Yeah. <laughs> will be a clear sign, a proof and a seal to them of their impending destruction. In other words, you just smile and you look at him and say, well, give it your best shot, but you're going to lose. Because I'm locked onto something eternal. My eyes are looking at those things which are invisible. I do not give my focus to those things which are subject to change. I give my focus to those things that are eternal, that never change. Like I said the other day, truth is the most precious commodity you will ever possess. Truth. Truth. Truth carries with it inherently authority. You have to understand that. Truth carries with it authority. God's Word is the highest authority there is because it's the greatest expre expression of truth that the world has ever known. That truth, that word, all the heavens, all the earth, like earth, all the, all the planets, like I said earlier, are literally right this moment being held in their places in space by the word of his power. And that same word can be on your lips and can be spoken in faith from a platform of faith, and you can begin to change your world, just like he made the world. You're called to change your world. Quit letting your world define you. You define your world. Amen. Begin to define your world. When other people create their world, your world for you, they will always create it too small. God's big. He wants it to be bigger. Amen. It will be a clear sign, a proof and a seal to them of their impending destruction, but a sure token and evidence of your deliverance and salvation and that from God. Patience is in feminine gender. Faith is masculine. Like I said, it's like a husband and a wife. I put this down. When I come under fire, my wife gets activated. <laughs> and she does. You know, it's incredible. I can have 35 bad reports, and Julie can come up and put her arm around me and say, you're the best. And I go, yeah, I can take the world. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, in the Bible, the wife, a helpmate, it means a happy surrounder. That's what a wife's called to be, a happy surrounder. Aileen's a happy surrounder, isn't she? She's a happy surrounder. Oh, well. She comes to my aid and my assistance to stabilize me. My patience does. She comes to my aid to stabilize me, to secure me, to strengthen me. She's my happy surrounder that God created for me to surround me with her love. Once you step out in faith, you must have the force of consistency at work in you to better enable you to stay in faith and thwart the enemies of your faith. Luke 8, 15. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just keep reading quickly. Luke 8, 15 in the, in the NIV says, But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. By persevering, produce a crop. Well, I'll try it for a week. You don't try it for a week. This is where people, you know, like I said, especially in the area of, don't get angry at me because I know I'm in Britain, but finances. You know, I'll try to, well, I'll tithe. I'll try it for a month. 
You know, you don't try God, you obey God. I mean, do you understand how pompous that is to take a commandment of the Lord God that's intended for our freedom and you on earth in all of your authority say, well, I'll try that for a while. In other words, I'll see if you're worthy of me continuing in this. And you wonder why sometimes in heaven, you better, better, you better be grateful he's a God of love. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Behold the goodness and the severity of God. The goodness of God is what's intended to draw your hearts and minds to repentance, Romans 2.4. But I tell you, if once you've seen the goodness of God, you continue to harden your heart, that can be very uncomfortable. We don't try God. We honor God with our life. We honor God with the first fruits of all of our increase. I still get frustrated over people argue about whether or not you're supposed to tithe. Is it 10%? Is it this? Whatever. And really, finances don't, when you really understand the New Testament, even if you argued, which you can't, you know, because Jesus himself said these things you ought to do. But even if you argued some silly argument about tithing, you have to understand that throughout Old and New Testament, the issue of giving was the issue of honor to God. Honor the Lord. Honor the Lord. It's an issue of honor. And people who don't understand what it means to give first fruits, they dishonor God. And the word of God says in Samuel, those who lightly esteem me, I will lightly esteem. Those who honor me, I'll honor. That was for free. I can see you're very happy about that. <laughs> you bring forth fruit with patience. The word comes, faith comes, Satan comes. Normally right here is where we lose it. But now, I mean, rather that's where Satan steals God's promise from us. But now the word comes, faith comes, Satan comes, but now patience comes. She rises up, the force of remaining constant, to aid and assist your faith, and you will come out on the other side wanting nothing. Understand, Satan comes every time you take God at his word. Don't be surprised. Look at the word of God and see if anything's changed next time Satan comes around yelling at you and whispering to you that it's not working. Go back, open the book, see if it's still there. A long time ago, I learned to read the Bible to the devil. I would walk back and forth with this book. And I'd walk back and forth when he said this, and I'd say, well, this says that. And why would I do that? Because Jesus is my pattern. And again, in Luke 4, is that not what the man did? It is written. It is written. It is written. And it is written. You've got to find out what's written. And then you've got to get it in your mouth. And that's the weapon. If it was what Christ himself defeated Satan's testings and trials with, are you going to tell me it's not what we're called to use today? It is written, himself took my infirmities and he bare my sicknesses. By his stripes, I am healed. Amen. I am the healed of the Lord. I am the redeemed of the Lord. I really am. I really am. Well, I am. It's not that I have to convince people. It's just that you have to declare your faith. The, thing, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, 48, it says, Things are brought into being, being created by the prophetic word. <laughs> Things come into existence because of the prophetic word that comes out of a man or woman's heart when they see and hear what God says and they begin to put it on their own lips. <coughs> Hallelujah. Understand, like I said, Satan comes. And I quoted this the other day, but 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, think it not strange. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though something strange happened unto you. In the Amplified Bible, it says, which is taking place to test your quality. 
Don't think it's strange about these fiery trials which are taking place to test your quality. I did a whole message years ago on the refiner's fire. It's incredible when you go through, I call it, the, well, I, I call it in the crucible. But when you, you study the Bible, you'll find that there's a furnace of affliction and then there's a, a crucible. And one was refining for silver, one was refining for gold. But it's incredible because the Bible says that Jesus sits as a refiner sits. Jesus, a refiner, when you study like the silversmith's art, they would allow the heat to get up just to the right, right level. Just enough that all the scum and the impurity would begin to be released from this pure metal that they really wanted. And the Bible says that the refiner would, or rather the study of the silversmith says that the refiner would always make sure the heat was never too cold, but never too hot, just right, because you want pure metal when you pour it out. Because if it's not pure, it still has impurities in it. You can make it into a beautiful vase on the outside, but those impurities in it will call it to, cause it to fracture. And so he's, and what they do is as these stuff, as these impurities rise to the top, he's faithful to skim that stuff off, this refuse, skim it off. And then he just keeps the fire there until that stuff just keeps skimming. But he never allows the heat to be too much. You see, the Lord's love for you says that there's no temptation taken you but such as common to all men. But God is faithful. He will not allow. Hallelujah. Seriously. He will not allow you to be tempted above your ability to bear it, but will always, along with the temptation, make sure and provide a way of escape. And you see, that's the faithfulness of God because the heat may be on, but He will watch over you to make sure because, again, if it's there, it's there, and it may be working impurities out of your life, but you can be assured of this one thing, that on the other side of this thing, you're going to come out a vessel meet for the master himself to use, not just a vessel for the servants of the house to use. Jude verse 3 says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Satan is on his job whether we are or not. We must contend for the faith. The word contend there is an interesting word. In the Greek, well, the substance of the word is agonizomai. It's where we get the word agonize. But this is epi, E-P-I, agonizomai. The word when E-P-I, the prefix in the Greek, is put in front of a word, it always means a higher form or a higher strength. And you see the Bible says you have to earnestly contend for this faith. It isn't something that just falls on you like ripe cherries off a tree, like I said. We must contend for the faith, epi-agonizomai, ep, to struggle, to compete for a prize, to accomplish, to fight, to labor fervently, to strive. You've got to fight the good fight of faith. I'm just going to quote a bunch of scriptures now because we come to the end of the hour. But Psalm 33, 9, this is the faithfulness of God. Psalm 33, 9 says, For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Hallelujah. You can depend on the word of God. Revelations 3.11, because all these verses that speak about us holding fast. Revelations 3.11 says, Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words or sound doctrine which you've heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 3.6 says, But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we if 
we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Hebrews 4.14 says, Since then we have such a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our profession. Hallelujah. Hebrews 10.23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful who promised. And finally, Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 in the Amplified says, Do not, therefore, fling away your fearless confidence, for it carries a great and a glorious compensation of reward. For you have need of patience and endurance, so that you may perform and fully accomplish the will of God, and thus receive and carry away and enjoy to the full what is promised. Hallelujah. God wants you to enjoy to the full what is promised. But that will happen because you'll make the decision, I will not allow my confidence to be cast away from me. But I will continue in patience and watch my God fulfill His promises. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for your word, Lord, that the entrance of it brings light. It brings understanding. So strengthen us by your word, Father, and allow us to put these things to work and be doers of the word. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.